Welcome to Authentic Health Fridays on The Jason Rice Show. This segment empowers you to reclaim control over your well-being and live a life aligned with your body's natural design. I am thrilled to guide you through insightful conversations and practical advice, all geared towards helping you achieve the vibrant and balanced life you deserve. In this dynamic series, we have the privilege of tapping into the expertise of a true visionary in the field of health and wellness, Dr. Gus Vickery, the founder of Authentic Health, located in the scenic heart of Asheville, North Carolina, is more than just a renowned author and speaker. He's a beacon of wisdom in the world of precision medicine and integrated health. Each episode, Dr. Vickery will be your trusted companion on a journey to unlock the secrets of authentic health. Drawing from his extensive knowledge and expertise, he'll share invaluable tools, tips, and information to guide you in understanding your body's unique needs and embracing the principles of precision medicine. Dr. Gus, it's good to have you back, man. I mean, it's, today's perfect because I'm kind of stressed. So I'm glad you're here to call. <laughs> Me too. And I'm glad to be with you, Jason. If I was going to be stressed with anybody, I like being stressed with you. Um, the uh, And yeah, you know, like we talked about this earlier today, how the day just rolled into uh, encounter after encounter after encounter. And I was out clinic today. I was in my home and we just moved. And now I'm sitting in front of you still in Kemp unshaven and feeling like I'm not suitable to be on a podcast. So I'm even more stressed. Well, you look great. And uh, I tell you, it's uh, man, moving into a new house. We, I mean, we picked the perfect topic. So we tried to use some new technology to get started and had to switch back to good old zoom, the old, the old backup, the old utility knife in the, in the, in the tech drawer. Then you're moving when you, and you've got, you know, you're, You've got your clinic you're trying to run. you got everything else going on. So I think today was the perfect day to talk about stress and, and its impact on our health. And then more importantly, some great ways to manage it. And I tell you, I don't think that there are many people that are going to hear this podcast. They're going to be like, eh, I'm going to turn it off. I mean, I don't have any stress. It's just Because everything's just so rosy and wonderful in the world right now. What's there to be stressed about? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And I, I encourage you, if you've just started listening and you were excited about another Authentic Health Friday, and I hope you are, do not tune this one out. Don't be like, oh, stress. Okay, I already know about that. Like, I think we're going to be able to enlighten your perspective around stress, both how its good aspects and where it goes off the rails. What's going on in your system? I think you're going to be really excited at what you learn and it's going to open your eyes. Uh, to a new perspective on it and also give you some very actionable things to start doing today to begin to make sure you stay in a balanced position in regards to stress. So what are some of the initial, I guess, I know we're going to talk about some of the positive aspects of stress, but one of the things I really want to dive into, Gus, is what are some of those unknown um, maladies that are, that are paired with stress. I know I had uh, Dr. Stephen Hussey on my show. He wrote um, Understanding the Heart. And I remember during that conversation, he was like, I mean, he had had a heart attack when he was like 34 years old. So that's become his his practice. And he's just really, that he's. I mean, he's a chiropractor by trade, but he is like now become one of the most uh, renowned experts on talking about heart disease and all this because for his own sake, he really looked into it. Also, he's a type one diabetic in addition to 
And so we were in that conversation. And man, what I took from that was that you put it up against what you eat, uh, against smoking, drinking, all these other things. The, 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 the role that stress plays in being detrimental to your mental health, but also your cardiovascular health kind of blew me away. And yeah. so, so let's just talk about it, it. You start where you want to, but my main question is what are some things that I'm, if I don't manage my stress properly, what are some of the main things that I'm going to, I'm going to have to deal with as a result of just kind of ignoring it and being stressed out and not being proactive in that management? Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a long list. I'll keep it in general categories. And you said the right word, manage it properly. There was something about when I wrote the book, Authentic Health, um, that has a whole like succinct chapter on this that walks you through that I know works that people have applied just what I teach in that chapter and talked about how much better their sleep is and how much less sleep, sleep, sleep they have. I didn't want to just call it managing your stress. I wanted something more. I ended up calling it stress mastery. We want to become masters of stress, meaning how we use stress to create a more robust, resilient, long-living human system and how we master the negative, like how stress could create negative issues for us in such a way that we minimize that impact. And so I, I like the term becoming a stress master, not a stress manager. I like it. You know? Yeah. Cause otherwise, if you're not mastering stress, stress is mastering you, mm. right? It's taking ownership of you in many ways. Now, um, it, it'll affect all aspects of health, emotional well-being, physical well-being and your mental like your actual cognitive well-being like how well you're able to think and focus and achieve and perform uh for those who are interested in the longevity piece uh it is perhaps the number one accelerator of aging i'm personally enrolled in a study with uh, dr bill lawrence who's one of the bioregulatory peptide gurus he works with vladimir cabinson and he does, epi, he does the epigenetic age markers on me and programs bioregulatory protocol stacks because that's the primary endpoint of the study is looking at bioregulatory peptides. But in our conversations around what impacts epigenetic age markers, and there's all the usual suspects, we've talked about many of them already, but he said the number one influencer they've identified is stress, right? That, uh, that excessive sustained stress interpreted in negative ways will age you faster than anything else. And when you have accelerated aging, that means that all aspects of your human system are impacted. Your body's self-regenerating capabilities, your bone marrow, where your stem cells are, those supplies are going to be reduced more quickly, which means that you're more susceptible to the sustained effects of injury or illness and also cancer and all kinds of other issues. It affects your immune system. It'll suppress your immune system and make you more susceptible to infection and eventually cancer and potentially development of autoimmune diseases. It will impact your gut in major ways, and we've already gone down the gut rabbit hole. It will impact vascular health. If you stay in a stressed state, like your body doesn't really know cognitively the difference. It's just responding to what state it should be in. Then you're going to have constricted blood vessels, higher blood pressure, higher contractility of the heart, increased oxidative stress of the heart, the blood vessels, more uh, forms of uh, pressure on the endothelium, the lining of the artery to damage that and accelerate plaque formation. So there are those aspects. And then, of course, the influence on sleep quality, which has a lot of other impact, and then how it can dominate your uh your way of thinking 
about life every day in such a way that you end up worried, fearful, afraid, rather than peaceful, confident, and at rest. And that will end up impacting your, of course, your emotional well-being eventually. So there's not a single aspect of health and well-being that improper uh, accounting of stress and its influence won't take you in a wrong direction and the direction you don't want to go. And which is why I actually, after the mindfulness, or not the mindfulness, but the mindset chapter in my book, before I got into nutrition and physical activity and all the other topics, we went straight to stress. And I explained, because this is a starting place, right? After you get your mindset, and we talked about that some in the last episode, this desire and wanting to be healthy and taking ownership, once you've got that straight and you're ready to walk the path, you're ready to take each step, climb the mountain, it, the first place you'll start is in, ma- in this uh, understanding of stress and its impact on your human system. And again, how to become a master of it. So one of the things too, that I think is that I just learned recently, and you kind of touched on it, is that when our body is feeling that stress, that there is a hormonal change that's happening in our body. Like your body's basically, and you tell me if I'm wrong, if I've got this wrong, it's essentially if I am stressed or feel fearful of something, which I can literally concoct in my head, then our body from a physiological standpoint doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know the difference from there being, there really being a bear chasing me and that's stressful. And so my body is going to prepare itself to deal with either fight or flight versus I'm going home and I haven't cleaned the house yet. And Jimlin told me to do it. And it's really stressing me out because she's going to attack me like a bear, which wouldn't be as bad, but my body doesn't know, but the stress indicators are the same. And so kind of talk to us about what's going on from a, from a physiological standpoint, when that, when we allow that stress in what it is doing to our core stall levels and, and all these other things that can, that have that play havoc on our internal functioning. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great uh, point. You're exactly right. The body doesn't know the difference. It's just responding. So, in an overgeneralized, simplified way, which is generally speaking in these discussions, that's what we're doing is trying to keep it that because it's so, the details are just so amazing when you get into them. And we don't know nearly as many as we would like to know. Essentially, what's going on is your brain, your your nervous system is taking in an enormous amount of inputs every moment. It's taking in inputs from the external environment, what you're surveying with your eyes, what you're sensing with your nose, um, what you're touching and feeling on your skin and, uh, you know, in all the different ways that you're surveying, you know, and looking around and social interactions. It's also taking in all the physiological symptoms of what's go- uh, uh, signs or, or indications of what's going on inside your body. Cell systems are sending out cell si- like signals and all these types of things that are ultimately funneling up to the nervous system for it to get a Uh, overall interpretation of what's going on in the body. And then your own thoughts, right? Your actual thoughts about your situation are also part of those inputs. So that's all getting processed together by your brain in a non-conscious manner. You're not thinking about it. It is happening. It's happening to you and I right now. Now that is all going to get funneled down towards uh, areas of your brain that are, you know, below the main processing centers that are going to integrate it all and they're ultimately going to switch. There's a switching station. Now, this is greatly simplified. I want to be clear if a neuroscientist is listening to this, please don't cringe. Understand what we're trying to accomplish here. But there's a switching station and it can switch to either safe or threat, one or the other, right? So all of this stuff that's been processed 
is ultimately funneling in down to one of a couple of signals. We're either safe and we can relax and be at ease, or we're under threat and we need to be vigilant and potentially in fight or flight, right? Once that is determined, then you are going to send a nervous system, you're going to send nervous system impulses out to your body through the autonomic nervous system, but you're also going to send out through your pituitary gland hormones that are going to also initiate hormonal cascades, which with the adrenal glands will include the release of cortisol and adrenaline, two major stress hormones, right? And those are going to do uh, cause a number of impacts on the body with adrenaline, raise your resting heart rate, uh, you know, uh, you know, potentially raise blood pressure, increase heart contractility, increase in the brain or epinephrine and epinephrine so that you feel this amplification of your energy, although it's not focused energy by any means. And also mobilize sugar into your bloodstream so that you start making sure your muscles don't run out of fuel in case it is an actual bear encounter you're in, you know, and the list goes on, right? There's this whole list of, uh, physiological, uh, responses to we're in a threatening situation, right? That's going to, and, and you, and then it can be a, like a heightened amount of that, depending on threat level, or it can be a lower level, but nonetheless, you have, Gone, you've switched into that direction or you can switch to the safe side and activate your parasympathetic nervous system and not necessarily suppress cortisol, but not initiate more cortisol, not you know push out adrenaline and potentially in the brain have elevated levels of GABA and serotonin, which allow you to really relax and be at ease and at peace, right? So the nervous system, you'll have your, it's, you know, the, there's different aspects of the nervous system, but the autonomic nervous system, which is kind of running the physiological sh show, has two primary branches, parasympathetic, which is often called rest and digest. That's when we are, feel safe and we can just take time and our digestive system is possibly active because we're eating and everything is in a calm state in the body. Or the sympathetic nervous system, often referred to as fight or flight. And that's that other side, right? And we generally are designed during periods of focused alertness to be balanced between those states, not really excessively parasympathetic, calm, blissed out, relaxed, not even, you know, non low vigilance around our environment or high sympathetic, high vigilance, threat detectors are out, really kind of high surveillance for threat with some nervousness that maybe we're not safe, right? So. You're usually going to be in this balanced state between those two and then toggling back and forth, meaning if conditions are appropriate to just the rest and parasympathetic, you'll move in that direction. And we can manipulate that through breath and mindfulness and other things. Or if conditions are such that you should be more in the sympathetic dominant state, you'll balance towards sympathetic dominance. And that is appropriate when you're about to crush that workout. Or you're going out on a date with someone that you're super excited about, or you've got a great, a big presentation that you want to give. We should move into that sympathetic state. It's not a bad state to be in. It's just a focused, alert, more energized state. Uh, and so we're supposed to be kind of in a balance point when no conditions are just normal and then toggling towards parasympathetic, maybe closer to bedtime or when we're having family time or just relaxing taking a walk in the woods, and then toggling to sympathetic for, hey, it's time to work, or it's time to do this, or I'm going to go exercise. Now, 
the the problem, what I've observed, because we can test that autonomic nervous system balance. We can actually test it with devices. Heart rate variability is actually a global assessment of what we're talking about. And can, balance- I, can I can I I want to talk about heart rate variability for sure. just I want them to make sure that the listener understands what what HRV is. One, a lot of them are probably wearing an aura ring. They see it mm-hmm. and may or may not know. And I would say probably in the last year and a half to two years, VO2 max and heart rate variability are two of the biggest metrics that I'm hearing more about than I've ever heard prior to. Now, that might just be because I wasn't paying attention. I don't know. But I do know that HRV is so very important. So describe, one, what the HRV is actually a measure of, and two, why it's important to be within that that range that is is healthy and, and some of the things that do get our HRV off. Can you you just take that for just a little bit? Yeah, and and it's a great segue because HRV is really assessing the balance of the autonomic nervous system. Yeah. Okay. Right. So big picture, what HRV is, is heart rate variability, not your heart rate, your resting heart rate, which we'll talk about later because it's one of the best things to kind of give you an indication of where your body is. Um, But heart rate, so heart rate is one thing, but heart rate variability, there's a very subtle, it's measured in milliseconds, beat to beat variability so if you're resting, let's say your heart rate is 60 to 62 for the next five minutes. Even within that very stable range of heart rate, there's slight variability in beat to beat, you know, in terms of the timing of it. And that measurement uh, is closely correlated to the stress level of your central nervous system. Okay. So the higher the heart rate variability, the less stressed your nervous system is, the more recovered you are, the more your uh, mind, your nervous system is saying, we're in a go state, like let's push in, right? The lower your heart rate variability, the more stressed your nervous system is, the more you should be really thinking about recovery and resting and not overstressing the body. As we age, our heart rate variability drops over time. So our baseline will drop with age, but it's a movable metric. Like we can change our baseline heart rate variability uh, through all aspects of improving health, but specifically what we're talking about today, this focus on becoming a master of stress response. So when you're looking at something like an aura ring or maybe a Garmin reading and it's body battery, what it's really doing is looking at what was your heart rate variability throughout the night? What was the average? And then of course, how well is it bouncing back or recovering as you approach the morning hours? Because theoretically or in practicality, we should be at our lowest heart rate variability uh, if we've had a busy day close to bedtime, right? When it's time for us to go reset our nervous system through sleep. And then over the night, and in most people, they look at their aura ring pattern. This is what they're going to see. It was low and it was low and it was low. And then it starts bouncing up with this kind of wave pattern and really getting high. And so what an aura ring is telling you, what was that average heart rate variability for you overnight? It's not necessarily telling you what your peak heart rate variability is. You're fully recovered. Um, you know, which is, can be an important metric as well, because this is where sometimes the data can confuse people. There are individuals that can get these pretty bad, like what appears to be very poor heart rate variability scores on their aura ring. Maybe it's, if they're, you know, my age, it's only 25 or something like that. And they're, they're worried because they go online and they read and they're like, oh, it looks like I'm a 60 year old and this is putting me at risk of all kinds of diseases. But yet right before they wake up, it's bouncing up to 60 or 70. And if they did a spot check an hour after waking, 
with a device that can measure it at that point when you look at it on an app, they might see that their heart rate variability is now 60 or 70 or 80 and that it doesn't start dropping off to some point during the day. And with those individuals, what I tell them is I reassure, right, that their heart rate variability is still good. It's just there's a lot of recovery going on at night. So heart rate variability is that, and I've shared this on this podcast, I think, before that and continuous glucose monitoring. If you could only have two metrics the rest of your life, for based on what we know right now and what's available, that you could probably dial in your health and your nervous system health and your immune system health and really make progress. It would be those two. You could learn more about your body and what's going on in its responses through just continuous glucose monitoring and heart rate variability monitoring. It's it, it, it changed my life. Heart rate variability and specifically breaking it down using an app where you cannot look at not you're not just looking at the heart rate variability. But you're looking at the low, so there's three frequency inputs that go into heart rate variability that are associated with your parasympathetic or your sympathetic nervous system. There's a high frequency input, which is parasympathetic activity, a low frequency, which is sympathetic, and then a very low frequency, which is really stressed, like high threat mode stress. And if you you can use apps that'll break it down into those frequencies, where you can then look at the actual balance of sympathetic and parasympathetic. Because I was a case study of someone who appeared to have good heart rate variability, right? That I wouldn't have thought there were any alarms about my overall stress from heart rate variability. Yet seven years ago, when I had a telomere link of a 63-year-old when I was 46 years old, I was like, oh my gosh, what what's doing this? And I told this story and I ultimately discerned the factor I've not accounted for is stress because I had gotten so good at positively putting positive spin on the stress that I wasn't doing a proper accounting of how stressed I really was. And when I it was able to get begin to break down heart rate variability into the actual frequency inputs, what I found was that I actually, and it defies what's supposed to happen, but I've learned this a lot with individual patients, that the general rules are general rules, but there are a lot of exceptions. I was an exception. I was somebody who, if all I looked at was a heart rate variability number, I would have thought, I'm good to go. I'm really healthy. But actually, the numbers behind my heart rate variability were that I was still highly sympathetic nervous system dominant, meaning off the chart with sympathetic nervous system input into my, like on a regular basis, my fight or flight fear-based threat system was running my entire physiology from the time I woke up in the morning until the time I went to bed at night. And I had entrained that and as a nervous system habit, that was just the way it worked. I didn't feel it. I didn't know it. I was like, you know, I knew I was very busy and there were enormous amounts of demands on me, but I was just like, hey, I feel good and I'm doing well. And so when I learned that, I, I, that's where I began going down this rabbit hole of how do I begin to actually change that and get back into a balanced state? And it's not easy to do. That entrainment takes place over years and years. And it's kind of a set nervous system habit. It's where it's just going to run. And to rebalance it can take years of dedicated uh, practices that are designed to take you out of threat mode and put you back into safe mode. So what would you think mine would be? I mean, you know my health pretty well. So what would be a good number for me? I think that your baseline heart rate variability, Jason, you know, it especially, and it should stay here if it, because you're never going to turn 50s, we all know. What? I mean, I would think a baseline heart rate variability for you, I would expect it to be you know, and this would be that morning average, probably around 60, 70, even maybe better than that. Pretty cool. So my average is 57. Yeah. And my 
with my high being 116. Yeah. And let's see here. Let's see what other stats we can. So, yeah. Yeah. My, my average for the last month has been uh, 57 milliseconds. Which is really so solid for a 48-year-old individual that also right now is in a stage of your life where you're really kind of pushing in hard in many domains, right? right? Uh, and have felt I have felt stressed. You, although you feel good, you have felt stressed. Yeah. That's a really solid heart rate variability. What would be interesting to do, and we'll do this when you come to my clinic, is we'll use the device that'll look at those frequency inputs and see what is your actual balance. Yeah. You know, and that'll tell us a little bit more because you could be like me, where you've got good heart rate variability because of your attention to your actual core health, but yet possibly you could be driving your system in a way that you're really tilted into that sympathetic. And that, even with a good heart rate variability, is still going to accelerate aging because we're not supposed to live in that state. And yeah. that's what was happening to me. And then with heart rate variability, of course, a good workout should drop it, right? I mean, it should drop it. It's such an incredible tool because you can begin to finesse it. You can begin to look at, okay, I went out to the restaurant and ate the Mexican meal. That always makes me feel bad. And you can actually see if your heart rate variability drops. And if it does, it's telling you that food stressed out your nervous system. Because theoretically, a good meal, a nutritious meal should have relaxed you and enhanced parasympathetic function and actually caused you to have at least a stable, if not improved heart rate variability. So when after you eat, your heart rate variability drops, that tells you you really just didn't do your system any favors. And the same thing with your uh, sleep recovery and exercise recovery. If you go do a hard workout and you don't drop your heart rate variability, you didn't really train your body as well as you thought you did, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the things that um, it'll, that I've noticed if I eat, even if I stay within my normal cutoff window of not eating past eight o'clock, but I've had like a really big, you know, big steak and some dessert. I mean, just really crushed it. Then that will impact my heart rate variability. But during the night, I've noticed mm -hmm. that it, it really has a profound impact and it's, you know, my, so my sleep score will kind of tank and, but that's one of the things that it always impacts. Oh yeah. When eating late at night, just see what that does to your heart rate variability. Yeah. And for those of you who enjoy your alcohol, you just see what alcohol actually does to heart rate variability. And then when you take nights off, see the difference and you'll understand alcohol is a major stressor to the human system. No matter how much you enjoy it, and I'm not here to campaign against it for you, although in a way I am ultimately, um, but I'm not here to judge you or anything of that sort. I used to enjoy alcohol myself, but nothing will drop a heart rate variability like having drinks at night. Yeah. There's a new metric that has been included on the aura that I've been looking at a lot. It's a uh, daytime stress, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, do you think, I don't know what the, I don't know what the inputs for it are though. Do you have any idea what they're using? On I, I have to imagine what they're doing is they're looking at, and I think it's pretty cool. I, I, so I still see when they do update, but I think you might know this. My aura ring is got a dead battery yeah. and I decided to just take a break because my data had been so stable for so long and just kind of roll with it. But I do love that feature. And what I have to think is what they're doing is they're taking a look at over the course of time, your heart rate pattern, like your resting heart rate and elevations in that, your body temperature, respiratory rate, and your heart rate variability and identifying like with small variations. Because once you start building the software to analyze this and produce a, you know, create an algorithm and produce a result, it can be pretty darn accurate at, at telling you when, you know, your stress levels have been much higher during a day. Because it's, it's basically taking metrics that are associated with your autonomic nervous system, which is not a system 
you're thinking about or sensing or feeling or really directly controlling. It's running its own show and it's doing it to try and be a good friend to you. Your autonomic nervous system really cares about you and is trying to keep things in order despite whatever you do yourself. So my autonomic nervous system wasn't my problem back when I realized that I had this high sympathetic dominance and it was aging me at an accelerated rate and it was going to have a significant impact on my health span. The problem was I was maintaining a pace of my life that was inconsistent with human design, right? Like it just, you know, we're just at some point, we just have to honor a principle I call Sabbath rest that was integrated, that was part of the whole creation of the universe that this understanding of that everything resting, taking time and relaxing and believing that God's not going to let it all fall apart because you took time to just be at ease, to feel safe, to rest is just a critical aspect of our health and well-being. One of the things I've started doing now that I had not done for a while, I'll still go do a, like a long walk or something, but Sundays I'm I'm finally allowing myself to just, it's just recovery. And I mean, it's, you know, just really, really, I mean, Jim and I both, because uh, we just don't slow down very often. And so, I, and I, I've seen a lot of uh, benefit to that. So, all right. One of the things too, just okay to pop in, because you know, I, I learned by analogy. So I would think that some of what's happening for like, because a lot of people are going to listen to some of this and I want to get into kind of how this can be such a silent killer for a lot of mm-hmm. folks. It's, is it kind of like a car engine, a car sitting there, but you're in park. So you're not wearing out your tires. You're not, you're not getting any chips in the glass, but the engine is revving. It's, it's, it's the engine's getting hot. And so you're, you, you're expending all this stuff that you don't see, but you know, so, so you're doing the wear and tear on the heart of the, the car, which is the engine, even mm-hmm. though you're never going to wear your, your tires. Cause a lot of people, when they hear the story of the guy that was out who runs five miles a day, every day before he goes to work, but he's also the CEO of a hedge fund and he drops dead at age 51 of a heart mm-hmm. attack. They're like, how does that happen? That doesn't square. Uh, so if you're that stressed out person, but otherwise healthy, but and because of that, you think, hey, I'm good. I bring on the stress because I get on my Peloton for 45 minutes every morning. I do the resistance training. I do all that. I eat well. So I don't have to worry about it. I have built myself to handle the stress. What do you say to that individual if that's a patient that comes into your office? Yeah, it's uh those are great examples. And your analogy is a good one, because in a sense. A person could also be the, uh, someone who spends most of their time sitting and not wearing out their joints and muscles, but is actually in this threat state all of the time. Um, and, uh, and even just sitting around worry is doing that to you, right? Is it, um, but, you know, yeah, what's happening is the high adrenaline state over time is one potentially creating blood pressure elevations that the person may not detect or be identified because they're not wearing a continuous blood pressure monitor that are creating pressure on the arteries and pressure on the heart. And it's going to damage things over time. Typically with the combination of adrenaline, which is actually a vasoconstrictor, it causes the vessels to constrict down and the mobilization of glucose. If that person, unless that person's like really a committed, like ketogenic, and that's not what I'm advocating here for, 
they're often becoming sort of obligate glucose burners, creating more what's called oxidative stress, especially in the arteries themselves, the endothelial cells of the arteries. So blood pressure is going up. They're creating an enhanced oxidative stress environment. The hearts, they're not getting any actual rest. And they end up with this, uh, it, it basically, uh, um, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? It, um, it blows the circuit in a sense, but I'm trying, that's more of a brain analogy an area of the endothelium or the lining of the artery, the protective uh, layer called the glycocalyx gets denuded, the endothelium gets damaged, uh, the vessels constrict, and then suddenly you you form the, uh, an inflammation-induced clot, right, in an artery. And you didn't have possible, sometimes you do, but a lot of these cases that you described, they don't actually have a huge plaque burden. They don't go in and cath them and find, you know, 95% stenosis or narrowing of the arteries and we need to do bypass surgery. A lot of times, they go in and they see a area that appears to have a 9% blockage and they run a stent right in there and it opens right up, pop, pop, blood flow, we're good. And that was probably pre-existing, maybe it was 30 or 40% of some plaque on the artery, but because of that high stress state and the downstream uh, consequences physiologically, that area of a little bit of soft plaque became vulnerable and ruptured and they formed a clot. And now they blocked off an entire main artery and they're having a major event. Maybe they dropped dead. Maybe they were able to get to the hospital and get it opened up. But it's a common story. And yeah, I mean, there can be other factors in those cases. Maybe they drink too much alcohol or, but it all comes down to this heightened stress state. You're running your engine hot and you're creating a lot of oxidative stress. You're not accounting for that. And then you ultimately have areas blow out under the most demand, which can include the brain. So uh, this is, uh, you know, a, a fellow clinician might give me a hard time about this, but I'll take a little license with a disclaimer. It's not that dissimilar to a migraine, right? A migraine is a area of your brain just finally going, bump, I can't do anymore and shutting you down. Like can't tolerate light, can't tolerate sound. I have to go into a dark room and I have to go into deep sleep and stay there for a while um, in order to get this migraine to go away. It's essentially that the brain has been had too much demand placed on it for too long, and that uh, consequences of that demand, meaning exhaust in the mitochondria and metabolic byproducts, cannot be handled or cleared, and finally the brain, to protect itself, shuts you down. Right? Like it's it's really fascinating how so many of these things ultimately happen as a consequence of over demand on our system without adequate rest and restoration for systems. All right, so I think we've kind of hammered home what it is and the point, you know, the the damage it can cause. What and now let's move into some of those things we have in our toolkit in dealing with stress, and you know, from a mental component to the to breathing and food, sleep. So again, I come in and I look healthy, but I've got high blood pressure, and I just tell you, yeah, Gus, here's the deal. I'm really, really stressed. I just, I, I, by the end of the day, I just, I, 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 I crash, but I wake up early because I'm stressed out. Uh, and you've seen my numbers, my blood pressure's high. What are some of the tools that you're going to tell me to deploy immediately to start mastering stress? Yeah, let's go through it. And, but let me real quickly just back up big picture if I can, because just mentioned that stress is not all bad, right? Like we don't want to characterize stress that, we talked about this earlier. All growth comes from stress, right? Like stress is a good thing. Our bodies actually are designed to thrive on stress, to become healthier based on stress. 
The issue with stress is a few things. One, the intensity of it, right? Um, and whether we induce it ourselves for a positive pur- purpose or whether it's something that we feel like we can't control and is environmental, right? The actual intensity of the threat that we're dealing with, which we can, our cognitive resources can recognize that to some extent. And then the chronicity of it. Is it uh, punctuated, meaning there are moments, um, or is it chronic, right? And then the one of the most important one it has to do with our perception. Do we perceive that we have any control over the circumstances inducing our stress? Chronic stress from circumstances outside our locus of control that we think we can't do anything about is the worst stress for our body. Just this chronic state of living under this pressure and this heaviness. But there's another piece of it that's critically important, which is how are we interpreting it, right? How are we actually narrating the story of our stress to ourselves? You know, there could be the uh, bear, right, which is a real existential threat, and you're not going to think much about it. Your brain is designed to turn off your thinking capability and activate adrenaline and have you, whether you're going to have to turn and deal with the bear, play dead, or you're going to try to sprint as far away from that bear as you can and hope it doesn't pursue, you're going to take some kind of action pretty quickly, right? Uh, You might freeze. That's one of the potential responses, one of the least adaptive, but that might be ultimately what you do. Or is it Jimelin, who has the appearance of a bear, right? Right. Scarier than a bear. (laughs) Way scarier. But yet, you know, you're able to, in your interpretation, say, okay, she's angry and she can be a real bear when she's angry, but I love her. And I know she's not going to actually hurt me. And I know I'm not under any actual threat. And I know because I love her so much, I know the ways to go ahead and deal with this bear and turn into a cuddly bear, not a mean bear, you know? And so I feel like I, you know, I know what I need to do here, right? It's a situation. And yeah, maybe I've done something that's set this person off, but it's something that I can go manage, that I can take ownership of, right? And so how we're interpreting our stress environment is critical, 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 because that is either amplifying and making it making something problematic that might not even be problematic, or it's actually allowing us to feel empowered and motivated and excited. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I played the interpretation game. I just crafted a, a I became a master at narrating all these crazy stressors. It's just all positive. We're taking things on, and these are the challenges of running an organization, and this is what healthcare is like, and we can conquer and we can overcome. And I had this whole narrative. They kept me overworking, overpushing in every way and not taking proper rest for my nervous system, right? So the interpretation piece is critical and we want to interpret stress properly, meaning you, 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 and this is going to move into the practical, like, what do we do about it? Like the first thing when you're feeling it, sensing it, so you're there, your blood pressure is elevated, or maybe your body tells you when you're beginning to get stressed. Most of the time it does. Like at first it's silent. But then eventually we either feel our heart rate go up or we feel a palpitation of the heart or we feel tension in our neck or our jaw or the beginning of tension around our head, like the beginning of a tension headache. Some of us might get numbness and tingling in our hands or around our mouth. Our respiratory rate starts to go up and we might feel like we're actually a little short of breath because we're breathing fast and shallow. Some of us, a lot of us, it'll be the gut, just a nausea and an easy feeling in the gut, possibly a little bit of a gut spasm, right? There are all of these different signals that have been cataloged, many of them that are the indicator that our stress system is activated, right? So 
our first and most important thing is to stop. So I'm here in the office, you've got the high blood pressure, you're looking beat down, you're stressed. The first thing is back up and say, okay, what is it? Right? What's got me in this state? And do an inventory. Now, not if it's the bear, deal with it, right? Like, but I'm talking about what the vast majority of stress that people are dealing with. And that I saw them dealing with in my office that was affecting their health in major ways. Possibly ways that we have to treat them with medications, blood pressure medications, reflux medications, sleeping medications, depression medications, all these things, irritable bowel syndrome medications, all to migraine medications, tension headache medications, all to actually manage what was the root cause of excessive sustained stress that was being interpreted as a real serious threat. So the first thing is we stop and we do an inventory. What are the things that are creating stress for me right now? Okay. And what, you know, what's the seriousness of these things? Like, you know, if it's a real marital conflict that rises to the level of possible separation and divorce, that's very, very stressful. We know it, right? Like that's a hard situation that you're living in. Uh, your business is under financial pressure. You've got uh, other or, or somebody you love is dealing with addiction or, you know, you've got a child who's really going off the rails. So these are all real serious, sustained stressors over time, you know, um, but also sometimes maybe it's just you've just had a bad month in your business, but your business is fine. It's going to be fine. You just got to do some work to make sure that you don't have another bad month. You know, or maybe you had a, a fight with, you know, a conflict with the spouse. But your marriage is solid and strong and there's no threat to this, you know, the the long-term health of your marriage. You're just in this state right now where you're both angry with each other and not seeing things the same way, right? When those situations, typically an emotionally aware person, right, a self-aware person can back up and do the inventory and be like, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. The things that are most important to me, right, the health and well-being of my family, my marriage, uh, my uh, professional efforts, whatever it is I do in life. All of those things are okay. They're not threatened. I'm not about to lose any of that. It's not going to all fall apart. They're just needing various types of attention. Like the moment that you do that, you already begin to calm down the body because you've used your cognitive resources, your higher mind to say, you know what? I know down there, uh, Mr. Amygdala, you're saying threat, 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 but I'm telling you there isn't a threat. We're not threatened. There are situations that need to be dealt with, but there is no threat. That makes a huge difference. And most of the people that I saw in my office were not doing this. They weren't stopping, stepping out of the flow of their stress story and properly recategorizing it and saying what's really a threat and what's not. So if they're not doing that, then the flow of their thoughts and emotions is going to continue to just send down the signal of, uh uh-oh, we're under threat, we're under threat, we're under threat. And that will beat you down. So step one is, Back up and look at it. Take a say, take some time and write it down. What is it that's worrying you, causing you stress, bothering you? And what domains of your life are they? What to what extent are they truly, uh, you know, a potential serious threatening problem or not? You know, and then enact a plan. Of course, of what you're going to do. Maybe you need to do some work on your business or with your team. Maybe you need to spend some more time with your spouse. Maybe you've got some more mentoring to do with your children. I don't know. Whatever it is, figure it out and start doing it because the moment you're taking action on an area where there's a concern, the it already starts calming your nervous system because it feels like the problem is being solved. So the first step is the proper recognition that it exists and interpreting it. And you know, if it's overwhelmingly bad and it's really not threatening you in your life, but it is threatening things that are important to you, 
Well, that's going to be a challenge and that could go on for a long time. So that's where we move into the next step. What, what can we do to help minimize the negative impact on our health as we are going to be in a sustained set of circumstances that are not what we would choose, right? That are unpleasant to us. Um, do you, before I move into that, do you have any thoughts or comments or feedback? Because this is also an area with your own coaching that I know you have a lot of experience and understanding. Yeah, this is where uh, Jesus and an atheist come to kind of walk into a bar. No, uh, and so the Bible says, first, you got to take your thoughts captive, right? And it's exactly what you're describing. You got to stop and wait a minute. You got to capture the thought and then you look at it. And then one of the things, the atheist in the story, uh, Sam Harris, one of the things I learned from studying Sam Harris's work and I actually uh, used to subscribe to the Waking Up app. That's what I used as my guided meditation is he is very big on find out from a consciousness standpoint why you're feeling look at the feeling you're feeling and feel it and then ask yourself why to your point so whatever the case may be let's let's take ourselves out of the woods and it's not a bear it's the things that most of these people that are listening to this program right now they do deal with bills losing their job not showing up to work uh their their wife might leave Somebody might die, their, their child might die or whatever. And it's taking that thought and go, where is this coming from? Or kind of like our friend John Deloney says, it's like a fire alarm that causes anxiety. It's not that the fire alarm is not where the fire is. The fire alarm is just letting you know there's a fire somewhere. That's anxiety. So then go find out where it is and then mm -hmm. process it and, and kind of take an actuarial approach to it to say, what is the likelihood of this thing I'm really worried about actually coming to pass? Or what is the worst case scenario? Let's say it did. What would that mean? And and generally, when you just start to, first of all, you know, it may be terrible. You may come up to the come to the conclusion that, well, if this comes to pass, I do lose my job, which means I lose my house and I lose the respect of my peers. Very well may be true, but at a minimum, what you do is you sit there and you realize you can look at it and you can actually think about it and you can unpack it. You can face it down. And that's really helped me a lot. Whenever I get that initial, I, my stress comes into my stomach first, always. And it just, it's that burn. It's, and it's usually immediate. And then I have to stop and go, okay, where's it coming from? Why do I have it? And a lot of times, if you don't take the time, what I've found, Gus, is if you don't take the time to put it under the microscope for a little bit, and sort it out, then you'll it, you'll misinterpret it. One, mm -hmm. it's usually you it feels way bigger than what it really is, and two, it the thing you think you're afraid of really isn't what you're afraid of at all. For example, I'm afraid I'm going to bomb this presentation that scares the crap out of me. Well, okay, immediately you may think, and so I fail at work. I'm a failure. No, really, what the real essence of it is probably that you just be embarrassed mm -hmm. and then you kind of unpack that a little bit and go, wait a minute, would I really be embarrassed? Because those are the people that I'm going to give this presentation to are human beings too. And they're probably not going to start laughing at me and throwing, you know, rotten vegetables at me. And so then it's just, you kind of process, I really have nothing to be afraid of at all. So I just think that what you said from a, from a tactical standpoint is so true. It's take the thoughts captive first and, and sit there and hold that big ball of fire. That is that anxiety and realize it's probably not a the, the longer you look at that little that fire the 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 more it will just kind of simmer down into a nothing that you go okay moving moving to the next phase so 
That's kind of yeah, my- and I love the reference because the renewing your mind piece and taking every thought captive is critical for so obviously to me the most powerful uh, therapeutic approach we have in all ways for dealing with fear and worry and stress is our faith if we have it right if we actually are believers in uh, what the scriptures teach and what Jesus taught and who he was and. Like if we if we're starting on that basis, if that's and I understand that some of the listeners may not share that and that I understand that. And honestly, the way that I articulated this approach to stress in that chapter in my book did not really get into the spiritual aspects of it because it was written for everybody and it works. It will help you. But if you believe that a creator that's deeply intimate with every single one of us, you need, you know, made each one of us who has absolute authority and control over this entire universe. Uh, and that is, yeah, is infinitely wise, good, and loving, is engineering everything in our lives for our development, for our best. And that he has already solved the biggest problem that we would have ever potentially had, uh, you know, which is the idea of, uh, of a death beyond death, right? Like that, that's been solved. We'll never experience that. Then the baseline you're starting with, no matter what you're going through, is already pretty good, right? Like you're able to rest in that and live out of that. And that's what the word says. And so for those of you who are listening, who are active in your faith walk, that's your biggest weapon, right? If you will take those truths and integrate them into your mind and heart and being and live out of them, yeah, you'll have moments where there are little toeholds of the stress and the fear. They'll grab you. But for the most part, most of the time, what you'll realize is that the vast majority of stuff that you have allowed to influence your mindset in a negative way was a lie. It wasn't based in the truth at all. It might not have been a overt lie by somebody else trying to like, they, they don't know that they're lying or society or culture doesn't know it's lying or your friend, but it was a lie, right? All the ways that you think you're, uh, that you were possibly threatened or things you care about were threatened, just not the truth, right? And so it's, for me, the truth is, is that the healing of my stress, the, the fact that I can live in a balanced autonomic nervous system now and move into those different states. And I've been able to do that. The healing was the healing of my soul by my maker as I stopped believing I had to make everything happen and that it wouldn't happen if I didn't drive and push. And that's what a response. And I began to actually implement Sabbath rest into not just my weekly rhythm, but my daily rhythm. And it took a long time. But as I did that, my stress uh, balance finally fixed itself. And the overall improvement just in my entire outlook in life and the joy and the peace that I feel is all based on that. And, and so these, uh, what we're talking about is a mindfulness approach in the end. A lot of people think of mindfulness as meditation and there are forms of mindfulness meditation, but mindfulness is simply a higher state of consciousness where you can step out of the flow of thoughts, feelings, and events and actually examine things, observe things and properly interpret them. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, the thing that took me a long time, and I still, I still struggle with. But whenever you can finally understand kind of the essence of consciousness, we can. None of us can really. That's one of the things that I have fun reading about these people that are a lot smarter than me, trying to describe or try to figure out what is consciousness because it's what okay. um, you when you start to just realize it's not a pain. It's just a. It's something you're conscious of. You're conscious of something of of inflammation. You know, it's a signal. It's everything is just a signal. That's kind of a game changer. 
I, I like this idea of daily Sabbath practice. It's something I think we're on the same track and that I allow myself now, which it's hard. I, I think every single second of my day must be used for a productive purpose. I have a real hard time with just, you know, chilling. But I have gotten to the point where I will allow myself to just kind of decompress, relax, and do nothing. Usually that's during lunch whenever I'm I'm eating my green monster and I'll allow myself to watch Ben Shapiro or something that has nothing to do with getting uh you know doing something really productive. What does it look like for you? I mean, being a clinician and being, you know, I mean the the stress and every I mean, literally every minute of your day matters and is important. And you know, what how do you do that, Gus? What does it look like from a tactical standpoint? Um, first of all, it's the morning, right? When the morning. <laughs> Um, and, uh, for me, that was a big transition. Um, and I know, I understand that for some people, they could be in a phase of life where this could be really challenging. Um, during that long stretch of my life, we had three highly dependent little human beings under our care. And I had a business. And for a long stretch of that business, I had patients in the hospital before I even started my clinic practice with unpredictable health issues that might need to be managed. So, it was very like for me to try and wake up any earlier to have some quiet time would have just like tanked me. Right. And so I understand that some of you could be in that situation. Um, but for me now, at least at this stage and for anybody who has this ability, winning the morning, meaning we typically when we wake up for most of us, there's a movement into a state of vigilance and possibly concern. Okay. What did I miss? What's happened? What messages are on my phone? Oh no, what blew up overnight? What's going on? And of course, for people who immediately tune into news reports, it gets even worse because then they hear that, oh my gosh, this happened over here and this happened here. And that's why I'm a big advocate of minimizing your exposure to news general, right? Like to not have like daily ongoing news exposure because it's mostly going to be uh, inflated, whatever's going on out there, not relevant to you and you're likely to have no influence on it. And it's likely not ever going to meaningfully impact you personally until it's like in your own community or state. And then you need to know and you will know. But um, for me, I try to make sure that every morning I'm grounded in scripture and worship. That's it. You know, and it can be any combination of reading some of the, some scripture, or it could be, uh, you know, a book that's about scripture or something like that. It's, but it's designed for me just to sink into the material, not to get my cognitive, like better understand you know, this, that, or the other. It's to actually try and uh, have that word of the Lord become integral to my being. Those truths become integral to my being. And through it, it's a matter of uh, praying back those scriptures to God. Like, and especially I'm usually in Psalms or something like that and praying that to be true in my life and turning on uh, potentially worship music or worship tracks that I like and like really beginning to permeate that atmosphere and even allowing myself, especially if no one's around to like sing out and to like, just, you know, praise the Lord. And possibly if it's conditions are appropriate, stepping outside and gazing at the light as I do these things. And what used to be a 15 minute practice for me, which 15 minutes is great. 15 minutes can change your entire day when you do that. Um, is now really in the mornings, usually at least an hour, an hour of dedicated me uh, meditation on God's truth, worshiping and talking with him. Not uh, not my prayer list, not my intercessory list. It might pop up and I feel like I need to do it. Just purely, can I walk in the garden with my father for this hour and ground myself in him? And then that changes everything about my day. And usually at the end of the day, before I have to engage in the evening, I'm going to be out in those woods, as you know, taking a walk with my dog 
also re-entering into worship stage. So I've actually gravitated away from what can I, what kind of learning can I do on a walk? What kind of uh, ways can I better understand, you know, the world, this news, this uh, learning seminar and move towards, let me just turn on either nothing and observe and take in and ponder the Lord, or let me turn on extended like worship sets that come out of different churches and enter into worship with that set. And it's life-changing for me, like the difference. Yeah, that's that's something that is very sacred to me is my my morning and my morning ritual, which now it just kind of flows. And that's one of the things I would encourage the listeners to do is take control of your morning. I mean, look, every day you're kind of you're writing another a, a little mini chapter or a page or a paragraph of your life. And the cool thing about the morning and right before you go to bed, the 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 two bookends of that chapter is you get to be writer, director, producer, all of it. And early morning, it's the one time of day that you really just get to control everything. You set the tone, you set the theme, you decide the title. And the there's the power. And when you when you seize control of that, now you're gonna get thrown off course because all these things are gonna happen between the time you get up and the time you go to bed. But it's a lot better to at least start out in that state of control, Mark Divine, for you know, that I, you know, told you I'm doing yeah. so fit and that that, you know, that's one of the things that he really encourages, like from the time your your eyes open in bed, start proactively saying what kind of day it's gonna be, what you're gonna achieve, what what's 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 gonna be the tone of this day. And then just walking into that, it is such a game changer. And I think it's why people love videos on morning routines. Everybody wants to know what Andrew Huberman's morning routine is. What's Tim Ferriss's morning routine? The morning routine, there's a whole book about morning routines that I read from the authors and, and and all these creatives throughout the years. Everybody wants to know what, and there's good reason for that. The The morning is, there's something very special about it. And um, I know for me that that makes a lot of sense and I, that, that you would say that now, Okay, so morning. That's how you handle your stress now, or, or in in the mornings, kind of get that that Sabbath throughout the week. Let's talk a little bit, if you're ready, to taking mindfulness to another area, and as it relates to trying to master stress, breath work, and just kind of a calming of the of our senses. What are some things that that you deploy that you recommend to to your patients? You know, what, what should I be? I mean, I, I literally, I have been stressed here lately and I, I use all these tactics, but I'm, maybe you've got something in your toolkit. I, I haven't. Well, no, I think it's all the things that you already know. And we did talk about some of it in breath, but not specific breath work to calm the nervous system. And it's real simple. So essentially, yeah, your, your breath is the fastest path to modulating your autonomic nervous system. Like there is no faster, more, you know, well-documented way of just changing the state of your nervous system. That said, if you've been chronically entrained into that thread state, that high sympathetic state, like I was, I discussed, you will not see substantial movement of that just through breath alone, right? You've got to go back and fix the foundations. You've got to find your way back to Sabbath rest. Um, and for those of you who aren't of a faith system, you just apply that sense, that concept of Sabbath rest, meaning it's just like the actual rest that you as a human organism have to have for your body and mind and everything to recover, just like soil has to rest and animals have to rest and all those things, right? Just understand it from that perspective. But so that foundation is like to begin to get your mind right, renewing your mind and honoring Sabbath rest principles and beginning to build a balance to life. 
that's sustainable, that's not going to overtax you. Now, in the moment when you're recognizing, you recognize, okay, I'm stressed. I feel my heart rate go up. I feel that sense. Well, the first thing that you can do is just breathe in a pattern that will calm the nervous system down. Because typically, if you're stressed, the breath pattern actually assumes the pattern that will increase the nervous system stress, which to increase the state, you actually just breathe in more than you breathe out. You know, Wim Hof breathing. <laughs> yeah, you have know, rapid breathing. And you can do that to raise adrenaline and cortisol and put yourself into this particular state. And it can be helpful, but not in this situation. In this situation, you need to breathe out more than you breathe in. And there's a lot of different ways to do this. But just essentially, that's all you have to remember. Slow down and prolong your exhale. So whatever you want to do, a four, eight, a lot of people will do a four, seven, eight, which I like because it incorporates a little bit of a breath hold in there. But that's basically you're breathing in for you. Again, remember nose and belly first and foremost, like we talked about in the breath. Go back to that if you haven't done it. Nose and belly, do an assessment and go, okay, I'm going to breathe in through my nose and into my belly. Calm, slow. You're not like, you're just four count. And I'm going to breathe out mouth and nose, whatever you want to do for an eight count. I mean, I already feel my whole nervous system calming down just in that moment of just doing that for that one and a half breaths, right? It's the easiest thing. And so for those of you who this is new to you, just remember four, eight, just do a four, eight, right? Just four in, eight out, four in, eight out, nose, belly, nose, belly. Maybe close your eyes, turn off some stimulus, right? Get away from your screen or any any sounds because sounds and environment, uh, you know, either create more stress for us or less. That's not something we've addressed yet, but I think is critical. The stress environment that you create around you, your nervous system is picking up on all that. But you just step away for a moment and you take those breaths, you calm your heart rate, you calm your mind and body down and you find some clarity, right? You find some space to work in in your mind to say, hmm, what's going on here? Right? And that's where, of course, you can start then reapplying the mindfulness principles or spiritual principles. You know, your your thought, your feelings and emotions aren't your enemies, even when they're negative. They're meant to, they're actually uh, more primal than our cognitive processes. They precede that and they were instrumental to our survival. And they're meant to be uh, ways for us to sense our environment and know what state we should be. And the problem is they're now all uh, improperly interpreted and not properly matched to the states that we're in, right? We're worried and fearful when actually everything is really pretty good in our life. Yeah. And so we're, we've mismatched. And so it's not that we're trying to escape all of our feelings and emotions and just not experience them. We're trying to be able to step out of the flow a little bit and examine them and interpret them properly and then really recreate the emotional state that's proper to our circumstance, you know, which we have the ability to do. But our emotions and feelings are meant to teach us about something that's going on. And if, and, and then, you know, as we begin to recognize that, that these aren't our enemies, that why do I feel this way? Why what's going on? I'm sorry. Is my dog like no making too much noise? Okay. Um, we begin to get a sense of locus of control comes back. It's not out of control. It's not out there. I can't figure it out. I've calmed my breath. I've calmed my body, which again provided me space to work in. Cause as long as I'm in that, hypervigilant threat mode, I'm deactivating prefrontal cortex. I'm turning off my ability to access those higher cognitive resources because my body is saying, hey, we don't need you higher brain muddling around with us right now. We've actually got to take action. We got to move. We got to run. We got to do whatever, you know, and so we got to turn you off because you're going to think too much and you're going to mess this up. Right. And what we and we don't want to overthink too much. That can be part of the problem. But as we use the breath and potentially environmental cues, 
turn off the screen, turn off the beeping in the background, find a quiet place, get to a window and observe nature outside while you do it, or close your eyes and go into a visualization of a beautiful, serene place that has always felt safe and good to you, right? You create space to begin to get ownership of the mind back and to say, oh, yeah, I am feeling a little sad because this thing happened to my friend and I'm going to do something kind for them later. But actually, at this moment, it really shouldn't be taking all of my peace and joy, right? Like I should actually be able to. And then I really feel like, and this is, these days it's a cliche, but it's just true. Just moving into gratitude is the easiest thing to do because we know it works. It works. It's impossible to stay stressed, worried, afraid, and in a bitter state of mind of any sort if you are immersed in a state of gratitude. It can't, they can't coexist. So gratitude is the most powerful mindset to evoke positive emotions and turn off negative ones. And so as you breathe and you've created some space and now you've got some control back, you move into your gratitude state. You start doing the inventory of everything good and blessed in your life right now. For most of us, we'll find that's a pretty big list of good things. And we just begin to really experience those good things, not just think, oh, I should be grateful. Like You have to start with, with gratitude starts with thinking about it. But gratitude ends with immersed in the feeling of gratitude. That's the powerful state. Say, oh, I'm thankful for Kelly. I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for my dog. I'm thankful for my home. That's all well and good, but I could say all those things and never enter into an actual state of feeling and experiencing gratitude. Um, it says, I immerse myself in the sense of my home and how much I enjoy the presence of being in my home and being with my family and the smile on my kids' faces and the, how much I believe, I love my, what my beautiful wife and think about her. As I enter into that, like visualize it, experience it, bring it back up into my consciousness, I begin to feel so grateful, so excited about what I have that I can't help but feel safe and love and good. And that is just amazing what it does to put us back into the right state of mind where we can be in control. I might have to move right out of gratitude into vigilance and like, okay, now let me get over there and start helping in this situation. But now I can move in and help and not bring stress and worry and maybe obsessive thinking into it. I can actually bring calm, peaceful, confident approach to it. And that will actually change the atmosphere of stress in the situation that I'm entering into. You know, one of the things that I've done recently that has been a game changer for me, and you, you can see it right now. So, you know, I had the whole setup with my standing desk that would would retract. And I had my lights. I had my whole podcast center set up, and it just stressed me out. It never. It was. It was just. It piled up in this corner to such a degree that, and so <clears throat> what I wanted to do, and I, my back was always to the window, and so now the way I've arranged it, I'm looking out the window. This is a much more comfortable chair. I realize I should probably be doing like Ben Greenfield and and huffing and puffing on my treadmill I have sitting right here while we do this podcast, but I'm not going to do that. I want to be in a relaxed state. And, and so for me, one of the things that I've noticed, Gus, that has a lot to do with my stress levels is my physical environment. I need a organized, clean, uh, well-lit environment that where I'm really comfortable, the aesthetics aesthetics are right, that helps me just calm. And so one of the things, whenever I find myself getting stressed, I will find one of these places like this office or somewhere that is kind of almost like a little sanctuary and going into the woods, just changing my state from mental chaos, physical, you know, physical environment chaos to something that is serene 
has been such a game changer for me to to reduce that stress and a walk is just one of the most magical things like you know whenever like just right now like just doing this podcast whenever we're talking as fun as it is you know it's just we're on right we're we're constantly we're having we're doing we're producing you know content and so it's something it's not just so i will get up and i will walk as soon as we finish and that's just like it's just like a decompression it's just like a opening a valve that is just so awesome and uh and that's one of the things too that i tell the listener if you don't have a spot in your home at your work that you just find calm the minute you walk into go create that space i mean that's that's literally what i try to do with this office is is create a space that I can come up here and no matter what kind of chaos is going on in the world, I can just kind of go and just kind of catch my breath. You know, I think that that's one of the things that I've really started implementing. Yeah. And that's the critical piece. We can't always control our environment. Right. I'd be working in an office in a cubicle that's got a terrible stress environment, but we can step out of that environment briefly. We can modify it to some extent. We could have a good set of noise canceling headphones with beautiful soundscapes that we can turn on. Yeah, you know, we can have a, a potential like, you know, screensaver that, you know, if you love the ocean that brings up the ocean and the sounds, or if you love the forest or whatever, um, you know, and a lot of people are just not thinking too much about that. But on a, on a both conscious and a subconscious level, your nervous system is taking that in. What are my surroundings, both from sound and light? And what am I seeing? What kind of form am I seeing? And the more that you create beauty and warmth and something that's pleasing, aesthetically pleasing for your mind, the more you're bo- you're already retuning your nervous system into a calm, relaxed state. And so, you know, uh, classical music, uh, you know, is, you know, you know, especially Baroque has been studied and shown to be amazing, for this, you know, um, you know, and obviously many, many people do appreciate like heavy metal. I used to be a metalhead in my young days or rap or something like that. And yet we know that when you turn on like hard coarse rap or heavy metal, it actually stresses you out. Now, if you're trying to get psyched up because you want to go like go wild, then maybe that's great. But otherwise, that's not going to help you uh, feel better or become a stress master if that's what's banging out in the background, even if you used to love that song or something like that. So beginning to really be intentional about how your environment is forming your stress and taking ownership of that piece of it is critical, both in your living habitat and in your working environments. And then, you know, depending on those, the more that you can get exposure to natural light and natural elements, the better your nervous system will feel because that's what it was tuned to for the vast majority of homo sapien existence. So stepping out and getting any little pockets of natural light that you can throughout the day. It doesn't matter if it's cold or not or gray or cloudy. It's just getting out and getting your retina away, your retina, your eyes, away from screens and fluorescence and LEDs and all those other kinds of things and putting yourself into natural light. And these are things that they add up and compound over time. You know, if every day you change that sound environment, you believe you, you, you muted out the bleeps and beeps and alarm signals that are possibly going on that don't involve you and you replace those with something soothing in the background, it can be very soft and subtle, not distracting to you, that you were able to go from you know, uh, say 12 straight hours, I'm making this up, but 12 straight hours of constant exposure to screens and fluorescence and LEDs and things like that. And you just simply flip that to 11 and a half a day. That extra 30 minutes of those little exposures will actually, it's not optimal, 
but it's going to actually begin to pay you back over time. You will notice the difference. Your brain will be less tired at the end of the day. Your eyes will be less wonky and blurry and things of that sort. Now, of course, if you go further and use active tools like broad-based light in your area and try to like, instead of having just the LEDs, actually have some sort of broad-based light generator near you. If you're in an environment where you can be close to windows and turning off overhead lights that you don't need and just letting that, you can turn down and dim your screen a little bit on your computer. You can spend less time on your phone screen. Instead of scrolling and looking at social media, you're going outside, taking a 10-minute walk, breathing in, and you know maybe saying a prayer or talking to a friend. All of those things make massive, massive differences in your daily stress equation, right? That add up over time to big differences in your sense of well-being, your perception of your well-being, and how in command do you feel of your own life? Because um, I will tell you that I evaluated tens of thousands of people for what were essentially stress-related complaints and conditions over the time. And the vast, vast majority, probably more than 90% of them were individuals who had no idea that their stress was creating it. They had no idea how to step out of the flow of their stress, their feelings, thoughts, and emotions. They had no control over their breath. And it was just everything was just chaos for them. And they weren't taking control of any one thing that they could take control to start. And I wrote that chapter based off of teaching these lessons to people in our clinic because I didn't want to just send them out with a panic attack medication, a migraine medication, a whatever medication, IBS. I would give them those if we needed to, to help them, give them a tool that could give them some control. But I wanted them to begin to solve the problem itself. And so I'd say, hey, let's do practice this breath right here. Every time you feel this, I want you to start to breathe like this and then move them into thinking about it more. And then the inventory and the gratitude practices and beginning to shift the environment. You know, and we could go on forever about this because we're, we're just scratching the surface of this topic. And we didn't even get into use stress, all the positive stressors that if we do them the right way, actually really help us, right? Because stress ultimately when mastered is a good thing for you if you're the master of your stress, um, even the ones we would think of as negative stressors. But the, uh, you know, the ability to begin to um, get some control over this. And then you take, just like we talked about with changing your toxic environment or any changing habits, just pick one thing that you know you can do and do it. And then the next week or the next week, pick the next thing. Oh, but relationships. So if your Twitter account or your Facebook account is mostly causing anger and frustration and causing you to yell and write things that you wish you had never written later, then turn it off. Please turn it off. Yes, it's addictive technology. It's designed to be that way. But turn it off, I promise you, within a week of turning off cable news and turning off social media, just taking a break from it if you can, or you're only engaging in the level that you can, you will feel a big, big difference in your uh, uh, stress exposures and, and associations. I mean, I tell the story in the book of a guy who just simply turned off cable news and started taking walks in the evening and working out again with his son, and four chronic diseases went away. Four chronic diseases we were managing medically went away from that one particular action because it was just making him angry, which is what it's designed to do. So the relationships in your life that only bring you down, I mean, if they're not your spouse or children or people that you've got to be engaged with, sometimes you just got to cut them off. Like, Don't expose yourself anymore to those voices until you're in a really strong place. Yeah. Have you read the book, um, How to Live 365 Days a Year? No. Uh, okay. It's by John Schindler. He's a, he's an MD. And I want to say 
he determined in his clinic, it was something crazy, like 80% of his patients that came to him with all sorts of different illnesses, just like you face in your clinic, it could be, it was related to emotionally induced illness. It was, and then that's this book is about is, and so to the listener, I bring this up to let you know that a lot of you that if you get colds a lot, you feel, if you feel like you're, you've got that uh, kind of a flu symptom that you don't understand why, and, or you just get sick more often than what you should for your exercise habits. It, it it blew my mind when I started looking into this, how many in emotionally induced illnesses there are. Just again, what the stress does to our bodies and just the chemicals and the, 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 the hormones we talked about. I mean, it is just a destroyer. So here's my question for you guys. If I'm somebody who I've got the high stress job, I'm dealing with stress. I'm trying to get it in, in order. Do I adjust? my workouts do i adjust my diet are there some things i start to do if i'm just like i'm just getting started in this or or i keep working out the way i normally would because i know that that is good stress i like that stress but also if i know that i'm really getting a hard hit to my cardiovascular system but already my uh my central nervous system is being taxed throughout the day due to heightened stress do i back off or does that make any difference you back off. You now. I'm not saying inactivity, but right. you move your activity. You you you're you're chasing after like whatever strength, power, fitness, VO2 max goals. It's temporarily suspended until you have mastery over your stress, and so that means you move to gentle yoga, breath, wa- gentle walks in the woods. Uh, you know, uh, light stretching and things of that sort. You you change. And move those uh, that form of physical activity to things that are restorative and calming to your body. And I would think, and I think it's critically important that you do that. I mean, I've had, and I still have some really competitive, athletic uh, type of individuals who are very driven individuals who have come to me. And typically, we're starting with, uh, and they usually have very positive mindsets, and they're going after it, taking on life, and uh, they don't, they're not reporting a whole lot of worry or fear. But what they are is just over there running their engine hot all the time. And when we look at their data, we see the markers that indicate that oxidative stress, immunosuppression, hormonal downregulation, and they're shocked because they look like superhumans. Yeah. And they're like, wow. And then what we're really training, teaching them to do is to begin and through using like a heart rate variability uh, tool so that they can begin to measure this to, to back off, to calm down, to extend the amount of recovery time between their workouts and spend more time in restorative. Uh, types of uh, uh, interventions and less time and trying to push the envelope. And, you know, it's very hard for them to do that because they they feel uneasy if they're not pushing in, like they're going to lose ground. But of course, inevitably, 100% of the time, what happens is their performance heightens. They run faster, they run longer, they lift more because now they've dealt with the stress issue and their nervous system has bounced back and it's more in tra- ready now for them to push in and their immune system is healthy, their hormones are healthier. So it's just critical. So, it, I mean, I, to me, and that's why I put the chapter on stress right after mindset in the book, it's like, that's where we start. Because if you're overstressed and it's affected your emotional well-being, you're more likely you're going to give into cravings. You're going to eat more, possibly drink more alcohol or use more nicotine or possibly other drugs or substances. You're going to binge out on television shows or things of that sort. Like Whatever your potential bad habits or indulgences are that could be bad for you, you're going to do more of those to palliate your stress. Right. So it's going to be even harder to create those kinds of changes. 
and it's going to spill over into your sleep quality, which is going to affect everything else as well. So the first starting place is get your stress rebalanced, become a master of your stress and get that nervous system calmed down and healthy and properly restored. And then we can move into positive stress exposures to begin to really train that resiliency and push ourselves to new levels. And that maybe we'll do that in the next episode as a segue to this one is move into what are those restorative practices in a deeper way that you can engage in to heal your nervous system, including botanical therapeutics and natural things that could make a difference. I think that would be good for us to cover because the overstressed people might need to introduce more minerals, magnesium and things of that sort to help their bodies and their adrenal glands. And what lab test would I order on somebody to assess the system and see where they stand? And then also, then how do we move into the positive stress exposures where, yeah, it's jumping in that cold pool is really going to actually stress me out, but I'm doing it because of the benefits. And I understand when I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, how often I'm doing it and why I'm doing it, right? Or the heat exposure or the harder workouts or the longer fast or whatever it is else I want, I want to experiment with tuning uh, my health span by training these capacities. I think that's a great idea. You know what? Maybe I'll reach out to John Deloney and see if he'd join us for an episode of Authentic Health Friday and let yep. you guys just tag team this proactive way. Oh, of that'd be awesome. You from the MD perspective, him from the PhD and the clinical psychology side of it, that would be pretty cool. Okay. So I'll, I'll reach out. I mean, he's a busy dude these days, uh, you know, with his latest book out. So, but that yeah, be- we can, uh, we'll, we'll be flexible in how we schedule that interview, yeah. whatever, whatever works for him, we can work out and work for us, but that would be awesome if we can have a three-way dialogue yeah. really into that topic. Because as you know, Mr. Deloney himself, Dr. Deloney is a, uh, a biohacker and a guy loves applying all this stuff to himself. And so I think we could have a, a really great conversation that would be, give great specific and practical guidance to the listeners of how they can begin to enter into that process. All right. Well, I'll work on that. And then also coming up. So, uh, John Ricketts, who I just aired my podcast, him, the CEO and founder of Riderly, serial entrepreneur, great guy, had such a cool conversation with him. Folks, if you haven't heard that conversation, go back and listen to it, learn something about AI and generative, um, AI. He's like, whenever at the end of that podcast, he's like us, biohacker loves to optimize. And I told him, I said, well, you need to come on an authentic health Friday and talk to uh, Gus. And I said, oh my gosh, I would love that. So I think what, uh, and I texted him today when we were on earlier on our on our authentic health call. Um, I was like, hey, I'm actually on a call with Gus right now. We need to get you set up to come on the show. And he's like, absolutely, I'm in, set it up. So I yeah. think that could be really fun too. And so to the listener, if you're someone, if you've got questions and you're bold enough and you want to Come on. I think it'd be fun to just have a guest come on here and and let's tackle one of these topics and and answer some questions in real time that people might have. You can obviously DM me, um, email me, what however, but I think that'd be kind of fun to start bringing some folks into this fold and uh just get some real real time answers. I think if any uh, you know, and I, you might have a, a too big of a list to get to potentially, but if listeners wanted to do sort of a case study of themselves without yeah. Clear- I'm a medical doctor and I'm not telling you exactly what to do, but, you know, kind of after like sharing their story, how would I, what would be the assessment I would do on their system and where would, what would be my, probably like my intuitive understanding of what's wrong, you know, where, where, where's their system off and where does it need to be retuned and what would be the outline I would create for them? I think those would be periodically doing one of those types of episodes with a real individual who's willing to do that. I think that would be incredibly helpful to your listeners, our listeners. 
Awesome, man. Okay. Well, good deal. All right. Well, this was helpful for me, Gus. I think that we'll call this part one of mastery, stress mastery, or whatever we're going to call it. And yeah. then maybe we'll uh, we'll get Deloney to come in for part two. And until then, I appreciate you, brother. As always, this was fun. I appreciate you. I feel less stressed now than I did before we started. Yeah, you and me, you and me both. Since especially since we've got a little technical issue out of the way, and it's just like just go with what works. <laughs> and you and you now you got to do is get your new house decorated, get the move behind you. So that that's a good stress reliever right there. Yes, it is. Yeah, thank you, my friend. Thank you, audience, and we look forward to hopefully re-engaging with you uh, in the near future. And please do keep engaging via Jason so that we can answer your questions specifically and uh, you know know what's going to really help you. Awesome, brother. Appreciate you. Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, Thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out.